0: Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. Somebody make some noise if you believe he is worthy of all glory, honor. Power, praise, dominion, it all belongs to our God. Welcome to church. Good to see you this morning. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, we are in this series called Echo Holy, and um, we realize uh, the uh, Christmas um, angels become significant this time of year. They're significant to Christmas because they announce the arrival of Mary. Uh, uh, the angel came to Mary, the angel gave uh, warning to Joseph, the angels appeared to the shepherds in uh, Bethlehem, they're uh, a part of this uh, season, and uh, but they're not just part of the season, uh, part of our lives, we've been looking at uh, who, uh, where do angels come from, what are they, and uh, identifying some of that, uh, just as uh, we get to join them, because we get to join with all the angels declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And uh, I hope you'll do that with us on Christmas Eve, as Pastor Mike said, 10, 12, 2, 4. Hope you'll come uh, pick one of those, bring somebody with you, invite a family, invite neighbors. If they don't have a church, um, sincerely, if they have a church, don't take them from their church to bring them to this church. Um, uh, If they uh, they don't have a church, though, invite them and uh, invite them to come and worship with us. Well, in... Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, I want to look, there's a specific angel that is identified in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah the prophet is writing and um, he's describing the beginning of his ministry, has an encounter with God, uh, an encounter in the presence of God, and there's a specific angel that is attending um, in the presence of the Lord. I want to look at Isaiah chapter 6. Why don't you stand with me as uh, we read these uh, eight verses, I believe, in Isaiah chapter 6. Sound good? Y'all here? (laughs) They weren't here in the first service. (laughs) I shouldn't say that because you'll tell them I said that. (laughs) Don't do it, Dennis. (laughs) It was a good service, it was just hard. And I got to be honest with you, it's just easier to preach when people are leaning in and into it. I'm just telling you, I mean, this isn't like help the preacher moment, but there are some tips. Help the preacher, y'all. Help the preacher. So uh, um, anyway, here we go. First, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, first verse, it says this. It was the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, Isaiah said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim Blue flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with the coal and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. God, I pray that we would have the posture today that we would see you in your glory, and God, that we would respond in the way that only we can to say, here I am, send me. Uh, Lord, that uh, your work be done. Let us see you high and lifted up. We pray in Jesus' name. If you agree with that today, would you say amen? amen. You may be seated. Um, I want to uh, share just from this title today, uh, Give Me Coal for Christmas. You may have thought it's not a good thing to have. I don't know if it's on your list, if it's something that you would put on the list, because I understand, uh, you know, when our kids were little, we told them that's all they were going to get. And, um, but the older I get, how many know sometimes uh, uh, you start wanting the things you didn't think you would want as much? Um, uh, you, you didn't want clothes to be on your list. When I was a kid, I wanted to all be toys, right? That's, then you get older, you become a teenager, and then all the kids have on their clothes. That's just what they want. Uh, things change. Um, I, I want to talk about the coal from the altar that uh, the coal would touch our lips. There's a seraphim. He he is a specific angel. There's a specific angel. There's a group of them that are attending the throne of God. And uh, before we look at the specific role of the angel, I want to emphasize the throne, the place they are, and the one who they are attending. Um, and the reason we want to do that is because we don't worship angels. Uh, angels minister. We we want to look at their role, but we don't worship angels. We don't we don't pray to angels. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to anybody other than Jesus Christ. Uh, there's one mediator, the Bible says, between God and man. Um, and so we don't elevate angels. We just recognize uh, and want to recognize just the uh, the role because we live in a spiritual world. We uh, we are. Uh, um, uh, live in a world that we are spiritual beings in a natural body but we have a spirit and that spirit that is in us will live forever and so we are spiritual beings there's there's a spiritual world that's beyond our understanding and comprehension and angels are a part of that and we're going to take a look but let me just identify here's the the place that Isaiah comes he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple. There is this this recognition of a throne, and, and I want you to see today that the description is that, the, that here is God seated on a throne that is lofty. God is on a throne that is higher than any other throne. He is at the highest place, and the highest point of our worship, the significance of that throne is that there's no other authority, no other, uh, no other final word than who God is, the word of God. It is significant. He's higher than anything you walk through. How many know today that he's higher than your pain? He's higher than your grief. He's higher than whatever you walk through. Because he's Lord, uh, because he sits at a high throne, everything else is secondary to the glory of our God. Everything we walk through and experience in life, and here's the question I got to ask you, is, is the, the, the throne that you allow God to sit on, is it too close to the other things in your life? The throne that God sits on in our life should be high and lofty above everything else. So it's become so high that it becomes the vantage point from which you look and direct everything else. The lower it is, it just becomes part of everything else. But God doesn't want to become part of everything else. He wants to be high and exalted in your life so that he can give direction to everything else in your life. Somebody say amen, amen if that makes sense. But if the throne that you put him on is so low, then it becomes no vantage point. It just becomes part of everything else. But the higher he is in your life, The priority that he has in your life. He sits at a higher place, and when you allow God to sit at the high point of your life, he's able to direct everything else that takes place. If you've ever watched a marching band, the the directors get on something high. and In fact, they they, they get as high as they can. I've even seen that at uh, some practices they've got some scaffolding that goes even higher than usual because they're looking and directing and able to see the parts and the pieces that God would be at a high point in our life. He is to be on a lofty throne he is whether you put him on the right throne or not he already is but in our hearts do we allow him to be at the highest place? He, he comes in and Isaiah recognizes that he is at a high and lofty place. The other thing we see is that the train of his robe fills the temple. Significance of the train, it's, it's the, the, the wedding dress. It has the long train that follows and he's making a point that his, his, the train of his robe, what surrounds him fills the temple. He is at a high place of praise and everything he is fills the place. This is significant because God never comes halfway into our lives. Perry Wingrove, who was a great brother in this house, went to be with Jesus. Uh, Perry uh, telling the story of, of when he got saved. He said, I said to the Lord on that night, uh, if, if, I'm gonna, if you're going to save me, if you're real, then come all the way in. Amen. And uh, that same night, he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he had a life transformed. And I just recognize, and we know this, that all of his glory, there is no halfway with God. God didn't save you halfway. <laughs> He didn't redeem you halfway. His whole, everything that he is, all that he is, comes, the Bible says in Colossians 119, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. How much of God dwelt inside of Christ? All of it, fullness. Jesus, born of a virgin, he is born uh, not in a, uh, he was born naturally, but of a supernatural uh, conception that here it is, that he comes to the place being born, he is all man, and he is all God. He, The fullness of God dwells on the inside of him, that he is completely God, that everything he is, which means whenever we're baptizer, he is everything withhold from those who love him and those who seek him. That's what the Bible says. And so if I'm not experiencing the fullness of God, sometimes it's because in my life I've not allowed the throne to get high as high as it needs to be in my life. And I've not allowed that place of surrender and recognition. The, the higher he is, the more of his glory that can come. How high is he on the throne of your life? Is he seated above everything else in, in your life? Or is he just a part and among? You might even say, well, he's in the middle of my job, my family, and all of this stuff. That's fine. He, he's a part of. Uh, you might say that that's good. But it's even better when you lift him even above that. That, that it be, Lord, you're, you're lifted above, and now it becomes everything else. God, I know your goodness. I know you, everything you are is good, the fullness of who you are. So God, if there's something not working in my, in my business, in my finance, whatever it is, you're at the highest throne, so I can trust you, and because I can trust you, I can allow you to work in my life, that you can give direction, because the fullness of everything I need dwells in you. That when I know the glory of God, that his presence becomes the 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 awareness of his presence that I become knowing that all that I need is in Christ he is seated above all things and he is complete in himself the word that we use for this is sovereign sovereign means that he is supreme ruler and if he's sovereign I come to a place of worship and I know that in him all fullness dwells and when I recognize God in that kind of glory and in that kind of light how many know that everything else becomes like nothing The moment I worship him in the place of high honor, his worth, the value of who he is, everything else becomes as nothing. Here is Isaiah. He is recognizing and seeing God. He's seated on a lofty throne. The the train of his robe is filling the temple. And here's Isaiah's response. He says, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Or in the home alone version, filthy animals. Yet I have seen the king... The Lord of heaven's armies he says I live among unclean people yet I have seen the Lord of angels armies um, you recognize that uh, whenever something um, and, and here is is Isaiah being overwhelmed by the presence of God and he says woe is me because Isaiah knows this Isaiah knows that no one can see the, the face of God and live. Scripture makes it clear. Moses even wanting to see the glory of God and God knowing and saying to Moses, you can't contain it. You can't hold it. You can't see it all. But you, I'll stay along this rock and I'll pass by. And when I pass by, you can see And Basically, God said, you can see the back of me. Because you can't contain all of me. You, it, would, it, it, would, it would overwhelm. It would, it, it, it would, because I'm completely holy and we are not. And so Isaiah knew that no one could see God and live, and so Isaiah is in this, this place of, of feeling overwhelmed and feeling as, as if there's a separation, and he's overwhelmed by what could happen. He he says, I'm doomed, but this is where the angel comes in and the seraphim it this specifically comes, and the seraphim takes the coal from the altar and cleanses his lips. Now, this is significant, obviously, because uh, Isaiah is saying, I'm not gonna be able to live. I can't live in the presence of God. I'm I'm he is so holy, I'm so not. But the goodness of God is that he takes from the altar, he takes what is pure and holy and touches Isaiah and makes him clean. Now, how many know in the natural, that's not how it works? In the natural, you don't take clean things to touch dirty things because if clean things touch dirty things, what happens to the clean thing? In the natural, whatever is clean comes in contact with something dirty. Well, whatever was dirty just made the clean thing no longer clean. But this is how holy and how set apart God is that his clean can touch the unclean and make the clean clean. It is such a supernatural, he works in, in total, that's how, that's how, uh, how high his, his authority, his rule, because he's not held to the natural things in life. He is above, he's set apart, and so it's important to recognize that God is not held to the circumstances of your current situation, because he is of a throne and a kingdom and a glory that far exceeds anything that you've ever experienced in your life. That he works greater. Here is Isaiah, and he says, "Woe is me!" As seraphim comes, and this specific angel comes, uh, and, and he's a the the seraphim is a specific angel that is has close proximity to the throne room of heaven. And uh, uh, the the sense of the seraphim is that their role or their role there's there's more than just one. Their role is to guard the throne room of heaven. They're, they're, they operate in protection. They're they're bringing protection. They're guarding in this place now the seraphim would be one that would be ranked in highest order if we were we're we're talking a little bit about angels and i know this can be a a little weird and a little different because i'll be honest with you i don't understand it all but i know the bible speaks of seraphims it talks of cherubims it talks of the archangel and there give that gives ranks to them and gives place i don't understand it all but i do know this that god is a god of order and so because he's a God of order, he has a higher ranking. There's order to what he creates, and the highest ranking would be the seraphim. Why would he be the highest? Because the seraphim is the angel that attends at the throne room of God. The, 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 the angel attends in the throne room of God. He is closest in proximity. And, and God is a, a God of order, and we recognize this because everything that happens in life outside of God's order is where sin entered the world. Satan... Was, not, was a created angel who belonged in heaven but he got out of order and wanted God's seat and how many know that's not gonna happen? So the angel, the Bible tell, tells us that Lucifer was an angel of light. That he was an angel of worship, that he, that, that he uh, led the music, the, the things that would take place. And he was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be in God's seat. And anytime it's out of order, that's, that's where sin enters. So we know that he's a God of order. And giving order, we know that God created these angels to do their specific role. Here's what you have to understand with angels. Angels are created beings. They are created beings like each of us. God created them. Um, but these created beings have a purpose and a role. Sometimes we like to think that loved ones who have gone to heaven become angels. That's not how it works. Um, to be honest with you, uh, God, if you went to heaven and became an angel, you'd be going backwards. Because God created us higher than the angels. He created us in his image, and so we don't become angels. We become those who worship at the throne of God, who rule and reign with him. We have the image of God, the redemptive image and and work of Jesus Christ in us. Angels don't have that. And so we are creating the image of God. Angels are created beings. Colossians 1.16 says, For through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Notice that he made the kingdoms. He made every kingdom that is identified in our world. He made the animal kingdom." He made the human kingdom. He made the material kingdom. He made everything that has a kingdom that has a a place of, of, of order. He created that. He created the spiritual kingdom. He created all of those things that he says here that the authorities in the unseen world, everything was created through him and for him. The purpose of the seraphim is to protect the holiness of God. We could, as we said, the guardians of the throne room. But here's what we got to recognize. Their job is not to protect God because how many know if he's so high and he's sovereign, he doesn't need protected. So the protection of God's holiness here is to protect the holiness of God, the throne room of God. And so if the throne room of God, the, the only things that are pure and holy can be in the throne room of God, the angels minister on God's behalf for the purpose of us to protect his people. Now, the angels don't save us. Jesus does. But they provide protection. They provide ministry. They work on God's behalf, at God's beckon, at God's desire, at God's will, as his plan. He sends them forth in this purpose. And so the angels, and specifically the the seraphim, are here in protection. The seraphim, the word seraphim means to be set ablaze or the fiery ones. They are literally the ones on fire. This is interesting. So if they are in the closest proximity to the throne room, they're marked by fire. That tells me you'll know how close you are to God by how, far, how much on fire you are, how, how hot you're burning for him. Your proximity to God is identified by the passion, the fire. Basically, you can't say you're close to God and have a cold condition. You can't say you're in close proximity to God. You, you remember the game that you used to play? You're getting hotter, you're getting hotter. Getting colder, you're getting colder. Where are you? Where are we? Here in the uh, Faith Assembly, we're part of the Assemblies of God, a movement created back in the the 1914s. It was started uh, because the whole purpose of it was to have a missions movement. There was a move of God, the uh, a revival that happened in uh, Los Angeles uh, back in the early 1900s, and so it had had sparked from there. Churches like the Church of God, Foursquare. Um, uh, 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 the Church of God in Christ, different uh, organizations and churches were birthed out of that movement. The Assemblies of God were one of those birthed out of that movement. And it started with a group of five people that are like, hey, we need to organize. I know some people are like, I don't like organized religion. (laughs) I would rather have organized than unorganized. Uh, And which, by the way, if it's unorganized, it's still organized because if it's not organized, it doesn't work. I, I, someone said to me one time, you know, I'm done with organized religion. We have, we have church at home now. like, okay. So do you have a time to start? Yes, we started. Well, that sounds organized to me. Uh, who's the preacher? Well, I am. Well, what about anybody else? No, I preach. Sounds organized to me. What you mean is you don't like organized. It's not that you don't like organized religion. You just don't like what's not organized by you. That's what you don't like. I'm tired of organized religion. I'm tired of, a little side note. Why don't I there? I don't know. Stop, get back to where I belong. Anyway, the assemblies of God, they organized. And uh, here's the thing they sent out an invitation. And the invitation went out to uh, people who would uh, want to come and meet. And here's their invitation talk about being on fire. It says uh, in uh, March of 1914, this was posted in, in uh, letters that were sent out. Meeting to be held in Old Grand Opera House at 200 Central Avenue. All who can, come, be prepared to board yourself and pay your own fare to and fro. We will help as far as God supplies the means to supply meals and rooms for the saints who would attend and those who cannot pay. No deadbeats allowed. Bring your own bedding clo- bed clothing. They literally put in the invitation for people to come to gather. No dead beats allowed. If if you're gonna come, you can't just come in a casual, in a nominal. It's it's to be on fire. Here is Isaiah, and he's figuring he's, he's dead. He's a deadbeat. He sees the glory of God. He has nothing in himself that he can do, but here is where the angel steps in and takes the coal from the altar and touches his lips and brings protection. He gives protection to Isaiah because without the cleansing of God, he would have been left and empty and would have been would have been a, a goner, but God has made provision. The coal represents what is holy and perfect, and how many know the coal represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out for you and I. It was the place that it had brought surrender, that it brought sanctification, that it brought healing into our midst, that Jesus on the cross, that he is the one. Now it's not just the coal from the altar, the very Everyone who is God died on our behalf, and now he lives inside of us. He didn't just touch us with coals from the altar. He touched us with his spirit, with his presence, with who he is. Christ lives on the inside of me. Okay. You were little. You asked the little kids, where does Jesus live? In my heart. Somebody like, well, how does Jesus get in your heart? Jesus doesn't literally come in and move in my heart but there is this, he takes the heart of clay or the heart of stone and gives me a heart of clay. He renews and now the spirit of God dwells on the inside of me. Now I live in the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. The same God who is Jesus, who walked on the earth, who was born of a virgin. You and I were not born of virgins. If anybody tried to give you that line, it it only happened once. There's only one born of a virgin and Jesus, of course, walking in the fullness, but now here we are because of what Christ did on the cross. Now we can walk in the fullness of who he is. The fullness of of his promise and the angels give provision, protection. They help. They become the agents that work on our behalf. The angel brought provision to Isaiah because that's the job of the angel. That's what their job is. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who inherit salvation. The role of the angels is to, is to look after, to bring care. They provide, give us direction. You say, God sends angels on our behalf. It was a, a while ago, uh, what well, was so long ago, we had a minivan. The kids were in a minivan. We were traveling the DC Beltway. How many know that's a zoo? We're on the D.C. Beltway. While we're in one of the middle lanes, my back tire on the driver's side goes out. I've got to take, have control, and by the grace of God, there was a lane open for me to get to the side of the road. But if you've ever been at the Beltway, there's not a lot of room between the side of the road or the shoulder and to fix the tire that's right on the end. I've got three kids Two in a car seat, what in the world? This is a madhouse, how's this gonna happen? I I get out of my car and I'm I'm thinking everything I've gotta do in process and how quick I've gotta do this. Before I could get out of my car, there's a truck behind me and a man lifting out of the back of his truck a jack. I don't mean like the jack. I mean, like the garage jack. Like he's lifting it out of the back of his car. He says, "Looks like you could use some help." I said, "Yes." He of course goes through. He, I just stand back and watch. He jacks the thing up. He has it off in no time. It's completely done. I said, "Can I pay you? What can I give you?" He said, no. Nah. He said, "You don't need to owe me anything." Uh, he said, "You're good. Just get back in your car. Be careful and get going." He gets back in his car, puts the jack in his bed of his truck, pulls off. We sit there not for long. It's a busy, crazy road, but the rest of the way home from dc all we asked was was that an angel now you might say no that was just coincidence oh just coincidence that at just the right time a truck pulls behind me and he's helping not just a nice uh, gesturely man who wants to help he's got a full garage jack in the back of his truck I mean, it sounds to me that God gives protection. And you'd say, well, then why doesn't God do it all the time? I don't know. If I could figure God out, I'd love to. The only problem is the moment I did, I'd formulate him, figure him out, and I no longer need him. No, I'd be at a place where I got all this. I've got this figured out. And the more we try to figure God out, the more we miss it. No, he's on a lofty throne and the fullness, it dwells in him. I don't understand and I don't know him. And you know what? God doesn't give me everything because he knows I can't contain it. If God would tell me everything I wanted to know, I wouldn't be able to handle it. How many of you have ever had somebody tell you something like, man, I wish I wouldn't have known that? I mean, we can't even keep our cool with politics and we want to know what God knows? You can't handle that. I wonder if it's even God's protection that keeps us at moments when things we wish would go didn't go the way we want. I wonder if God just knows how to look out for us because he knows what you and I can and cannot handle. Amen. My kids were on, on vacation one year and early on, you know, living on a youth pastor salary, doing what you can. We take the kids to the beach, and, and I had that moment. I had it all planned out. We've got money to do this, and we are having fun at the beach. While I'm at the beach, I remember, you know, you should have been like, hey, Jason, you need to plan better. Listen, I was young, trying to figure it out. And I was still not catching on to my insurance that would be paid on a quarterly basis. I had everything accounted for, but I did not account for the insurance being due next month. Ah! I remember that night laying in bed in the hotel, not sleeping. Because my kids were on vacation, were having a good time, but I couldn't sleep. You know why? Because I knew what they didn't know. Do you know what I didn't do? I didn't say to the kids, now kids, I want you to gather around. You're having fun, but you really shouldn't because I can't afford this. (laughs) Now here's what I know that that doesn't parallel because my God can afford everything. But you understand in protection for my kids, the father did not reveal what they did not know, not because it wasn't something that he was withholding. It was they can't handle this. If I would have told the kids, guys, you can't really have fun. You can't really enjoy this because you don't. How many know the father in me kept playing in the beach saying, oh, God, I don't know how this is going to work. And I got to be honest with you. I still don't know how it worked. It did. But I do remember not being able to sleep that night while my kids were laughing and jumping on the bed. And I do remember laying in bed thinking, oh, God. This must be what it's like to have the heart of a father when all you do is look out for your children. This must be what it's like when you carry the weight of the world because you love your kids so much. And so in that moment when I couldn't sleep, all I did was listen to my kids laugh and try to remind myself, no, I serve a God who looks out for me, and he carried the weight of the world and took sin upon himself because he loves me that much. I wonder, when you don't know what you wish you knew from God, maybe instead of saying, God, where are you? God, I know you're at a high and lofty throne, and all glory fills you, and so I don't need to know what you know, because whatever I know, you're looking out for me. You've got this. And I can allow myself, he's looking out and here, it comes down to ultimately this, do you know that God loves you? Do you know that you can trust him? Because I had to learn that night in a hotel bed. It didn't happen overnight. I still didn't sleep good that night. I mean, and quite honestly, it was the worst vacation of my life. I didn't have a good time. Well, if it was more spiritual, if I would have been more in tune. Sorry, I was still growing up. I was still growing up in this faith journey of how to trust God. And I also did grow up in learning how to figure out the quarterly payments on the insurance and how that works too. That's part of the process, right? But there's a growing up. And and in this growing up, here's what God does. His angels minister on our behalf to protect us and to keep us and to help us in this journey. Anybody still growing up in this faith? God, I don't understand, I don't know, but when I come in, no, he is on a lofty throne. All glory is in him. And I sometimes want him to come down here. The danger with that is then I want God on the level that I can understand and know so that I can worship according to my own desire. But when he's on a throne, I can't worship him according to my feelings, I have to worship him according to, to who he is. I've got to worship him according to his, his role, who he is in my life. God sends his angels to give charge. Here's, here's um, the, the work of God, provides protection. He, he gives us protection. His kindness leads us to repentance. He loves us so much that, that he, he um, uses angels on our behalf. Again, we don't worship angels. Angels don't save us. Angels are not the most important, but we know that God loves us so much that he provides. When Isaiah sees God on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filling the temple, he says that the seraphim, the fiery ones, were surrounding him and singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. I want you to know today there's going to be a moment that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The whole earth, so listen, what did the angels sing? Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, they could sing that song because they were surrounding the throne that was where? High and lofty. When you're at a vantage point that is high and lofty, how many know you can see a lot? So the angels are seated with the one who is before time and who will be after time, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. They are with the one who sees all things, which means they, they do too. They see in, this, in this, this span of what's happening. So the angels are singing from a place of what they see. The whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. How many know I can sing the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord, but I'm not seeing it yet? If the whole earth were filled with the glory of the Lord, Target would not have a 50% increase in shoplifting right now. There's obviously not the increase or the glory of the Lord is not filling the earth because if so, people would not do that stuff. And there is an increase of that. And it, it, it's sickening, it bothers me. Um, because we have just conditioned ourselves to the point that everybody owes me something. And so now we've conditioned so well that if I don't get it, there's people that are now like, well, I'll just go get it myself. I mean, how do you have an increase of 50% of shoplifting? Because we become a culture and a society conditioned, to everybody giving us everything. And not having to work, not having to have responsibility, not having to, uh, someone's like, don't be, polit- that's not political. That's Bible. It's Bible. And so we've been so conditioned now to where then because it's my right to have whatever I want whenever I want it, because it's my right. Therefore, because it's my right, if you don't give me, then I have the right to take it from you. And now we justify because we have lost sight of the one who is high and lofty, I hope I didn't offend anybody. It's too close to Christmas. I don't want to offend anyone. But we, 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 we condition ourselves in this, this place. If the whole earth was filled with God's glory, we wouldn't have people taking advantage of other people. We wouldn't have things going on the way that we live in a How many know we just live in a broken world? And so I don't see the fullness of the glory of God filling the earth right now. But here by faith, I know it will one day. Because here's what the Bible says in Habakkuk. This is not written by an angel that is at the top seeing everything. This is written by a prophet who is seeing in the spirit. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. And here, what's the, what's the, the point that they can say it's all in vain? Here's why. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. Right now, the earth is filled with the glory of God, but there will be a day where everyone will be aware of the glory of God. I don't know how that event's going to happen. I believe it has to do with the rapture of the church and the end times and how God works all things together when that you know, Armageddon, everything comes to a place, how many know there's going to be a moment you can't deny, surely this is the hand of God, and all the earth will see the glory of the Lord. That's also the moment that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's the question. When I want to come into awareness of God's glory while there's still protection rather than wait till devastation, when we come into the awareness of God's glory in this season in our life, when I come into the, the awareness of God's glory, it will shake me and cause me to say, oh God, I'm, I'm hopeless and helpless. I can't do this without foundation It's broken. But here's the good news. My Savior has made a way and made protection, made provision through Jesus Christ. But in every step, he takes charge and he gives the help that I need. Oh, that we would be aware. I don't know how God does what God does. I don't know how angels work. I don't know how the spiritual thing. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I just know there's one who sits on a lofty throne and all fullness dwells in him. And he has angels that minister. And in this case, took the coal from the altar and touched Isaiah's lips he brought protection protection keeps us walking in the path and I don't know how God does it I don't understand all of his ways but I believe that there are times that angels are protecting and we're not even aware of it they might drive maroon trucks with carjacks in the back of their bed I don't Oh, I don't know the Bible says we entertain angels unaware, that we don't even realize I'm not even aware of everything that God's doing. But he'll reveal to me as, as times of, of, of what I need to know. And as I, as, I, as I get closer to him, as he works in my life, that he's ordering my steps. The, the significance of God ordering my steps is that he helps me, he protects me, and helps me to walk in righteousness. Psalm 91 says this, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. He'll send his angels to protect you. You know, y'all remember Balaam's donkey. It's in Numbers chapter 22. If you've, if you've not read the Old Testament, um, spoiler alert, and just to make you aware, the donkey talks. That's weird. But what's weirder is Balaam talks back to the donkey. That's even weirder. But there's this story in Numbers chapter 22 that Balaam... Is setting out to go and to another nation who wants him to curse God's people. And so Balaam, of course, is on the way and God has this whole interaction with him. But the donkey that he's riding at one moment goes into the field, at another moment presses up against the wall. And each time Balaam is like, You stupid donkey, what are you doing? And then the last time, it's so tight that the donkey just falls right down. Balaam beats the donkey, says, what are you doing? And then Balaam's Balaam's donkey talks. That's weird. But it was after that that Balaam's eyes are open and he saw the angel of the Lord. So in essence, what this is recognized, there's more to it. But the donkey saw what Balaam couldn't see. I don't know if that how that all plays out, but here's what I'm saying: when things don't go the way we think, when things aren't happening the way we like, when we don't get the promotion we want, when we didn't get the stuff we asked for, when we don't doesn't happen the way we want it, could it be that there's a God? I know there is, but could it be that He's sending angels and He's working on our behalf, and He knows the right time, the right place, the right moment, because He's on a lofty throne. And all fullness dwells in him. And seraphim surround him. And he says he sent ministering angels. So rather than being caught up in the disappointment, God, why not? Could it be because he wants you to keep laughing on your vacation? Could it be that he wants you to grow and mature so that you can develop? Could it be because he's just not just, but he is God and he's also Father. And he knows how to look out for his children. And so I can trust him. The higher I let him be in my life, the more I recognize all fullness dwells in him. And it allows everything else to become like nothing. I, I, um, my prayer is this Christmas, God, let a coal from the altar touch. I, if you could take this coal, obviously I'm holding it in its natural condition because If it were on fire, I would not be holding it. This material that in its natural state, the moment it comes in contact with fire, how many know it changes its natural color and turns to red? But that's not it. It can even go to white. And then there's such a white glow that sometimes bright but even to the point that it can bend metal. It can make metal change. How many know there's a God who wants the coal from the altars to take us from our natural condition to a place of transformation? Come on, somebody say amen. He wants to take you in your natural condition, in the fire of God. Here's the other thing, though. Even the white glow, it doesn't stop there. Do you know that this coal can get so hot that it can even, with others, put off a flame? And it would even have a flame that is not just red, it's now white. And also in the white, there becomes a blue hue. How many know what I'm talking about? There's like a blue color to that fire. Wave at me if I'm telling the truth. Because I never want to stand up here like, and I know this. Somebody like, you don't know what you're talking about. And you might be right. But I know Jesus. And I think this illustration works right now. Because what I'm saying is this natural thing goes through a process that becomes red, white, that can change metal. That's a, that's amazing. But then it even has a blue hue. I love this picture. This blue hue, this blue, really represents heaven. What if we would allow the coal from heaven to set us ablaze that we would live our lives on fire with God to the point that we become molded in His purpose and what He wants and transformed to His liking. That even to the point that heaven starts to resemble, I guess it sounds like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you cause heaven to touch earth this Christmas? Oh, wait, it did. Jesus was born and heaven touched earth. Guess what? It wasn't the last time the heavens opened for something to leave heaven and touch earth. On the day of Pentecost, the heavens opened and tongues, what was fire, fell upon them, transforming an entire, not just a city, but a whole people and our history completely transformed. Oh God, would you cause the coal from heaven to touch your people, that heaven would touch earth this Christmas. Let there be a fire of God that we would burn. God, give us coal this Christmas. Let the coals of heaven come and transform. And I, I want to ask you today are you hot, hotter, hotter, colder, colder? And could it be that you've forgotten that your God sits on a lofty throne and you're trying to pull him down here to where it all makes sense? Come on, am I, am I talking to anybody this morning? Could it be that you're getting colder because you forgot that your God is on a lofty throne? And if He's on a lofty throne, then He doesn't have nothing compares to Him. Nothing even comes close. Nothing I desire comes close to Him, and nothing that disappoints me comes close to Him. We think of worship and we're like, he's so high. So I'm not just making because sh- if we're being honest, the stuff that, dis- it gets our attention, it gets our affection, your emotions are all wrapped up. So everything that should be wrapped up around the one who is high and lofty, you've allowed to be got- brought down and wrapped up around your, your anxiety, your worry, your stress, your concern. Come on. Am I talking to any, you're worshiping that? Because you forgot, not only is your God higher than anything you can desire, but he's also higher than anything that can frustrate, disappoint, because there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Can I just say this? He is greater than your grief. He's greater than your depression. He's greater than your anxiety. He's greater than your fear. He's greater than anything. He is on a lofty throne. So don't bring him on a lower one. All right. That's all I have to say about that. I hope that makes sense to you this morning. Sometimes you preach, it's like, man, I want it to hit like this, and I don't have any idea how it's hitting. I just hope Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and say, God, I want you to be on the loft. I I want to see you in your glory, a throne high and exalted. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing this song that we sang earlier, and just the chorus of it, and we're going to dismiss here shortly but can you just take this moment right now with every head bowed and every eye closed and just in this time of worship would you whatever would consume you whatever would concern you would you allow your God and if you don't know him today's your day to know him would you allow your God to be seated at the highest throne the place of worship